Turn with your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We looked last week at verse 11 and 12 about the, the wiles of the devil. That's the, the title of this message. The wiles or the schemes or the devices of the devil. Uh, I know it's kind of weird, you know, this is Thanksgiving week. And here you are, you got your preacher preaching on the devil, you know, way to go. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I've been to some of these Thanksgiving meals before and it wouldn't hurt to have a little peace in there, wouldn't it? So uh, I'm just trying to get you ready for hopefully what what's not coming to your house. But anyway. The wiles of the devil. Here's how the devil works. He likes to get a foothold in your life and he likes you to exist in a realm where you're allowing him, him to have some sort of control by allowing sin in your life. And uh, you exist that way for a while. You go to church on Sunday. If, if you're existing that way, you tell you what kind of church you want. You want church that puts on a show. You want church that stirs up your emotions, puts on a show and makes you feel all godly again so you can go back in the week and live where the devil has his foothold again. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to become a church that puts on a show. I want to become a church that has the anointing of God. And the anointing of God comes in each of our lives, in each of our families, based on how committed we are to the Lord, how sold out and surrendered we are to the Lord. And any one person here, I want, you to, I want you to own this today. Any one person here who's living in sin, who's walking in the way of sin, can, can hinder the move of God in this church building. Do you believe that? Any, study the Old Testament. There's time after time the sin of one person would cause Israel to lose a war. One person. Thousands would die. Because of the sin of one person. Don't you believe the lie that Satan tells you that your sin is just your business? It's not. It's, a, it's affecting all of us. It, mine's affecting you. It's, it's because we're a church. We're the body of Christ. And he starts by getting you to just live in sin and think everything's okay because you're still going to church and worshiping on Sunday. But what you don't realize is you're getting more and more blind. You're getting more and more filled with darkness. And soon, you're going to be so under the... The, the leadership of the devil instead of the leadership of God, you will rise up against other members in this church and create a great discord. And just like that, unity is broken. You say, where did it break? break because somebody said something to somebody else? No. Did it break because some big thing was started and some people were for it and some people were against it? No. It broke because one man or one woman was allowing Satan to have a, a foothold in their life in some private sin, and it went on for a really long time, and their mind grew darker and darker until they don't even realize. There's so many people who are dividing churches, and they think what they're doing is for God. Do you know that? They will stand up and fight with all their strength, feeling like what they're doing is for God, when what has happened is the devil has a foothold in their life and they're so blinded now they don't even know what God wants. They think God wants red chairs or yellow walls or something and God doesn't care a thing about that. But they think he does. And so I want us to talk a little bit more about this unity but from the perspective of how the devil begins to work in our lives and Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about the whole armor of God. I'm not going to preach on the whole armor of God I want to draw your attention back to verse 11. Or verse, we'll start in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in His power. That, remember we looked at that where it's, you come, your strength is when you come under His power. Your strength is when you surrender to His power. Verse 11. So then put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You're wrestling with the devil. Verse 12 says we do not wrestle against men women, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darknesses of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, the devil and his demons, and they're in, the, in that space between earth and heaven, and they're on the, on the attack at all times. And that's who you're wrestling with. It's hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's on the ground. 
And verse 11 says, these are the wiles of the devil. These are his tricks, his schemes, his devices. That's what that word means. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take out the whole armor of God that you can stand in the evil day that you can stand. The evil day for you could be this week. It's that day when the devil comes against you or comes against your marriage or your family. It could be any day that the devil shows up and he wants to bring damage into your life. And then I want you to look down at verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one or of the devil. So there's this picture in which the devil is out there. You know, there's the cartoons about Cupid shooting the love arrow, which is not realistic. You don't get shot by an arrow and all of a sudden you're in love. You don't fall into love. But there's this picture of that. But here's this picture of the devil. He has a bow and arrow, and he's shooting fiery darts at us. And he says in verse 16, we're supposed to take up the shield of faith. And so these fiery darts in, in Bible times would have been an arrow that had on the end of it a, a cloth wrapped around the end of it, and it would have been dipped in pitch or tar-like substance, and then it would have been lit on fire, and they would shoot it at the enemy, and when it would hit, it would kind of almost explode, but what's happening is those little bits of tar would spread out, and the fire would spread out and begin to burn anything that was flammable. And so he says in verse 16 that you're to take the shield of faith. There's this shield that you're supposed to hold up that is made of faith. But the Roman shields were very large. They would have been about four and a half feet tall, about this tall, and about two and a half feet wide. That's how big a Roman shield uh, would have been. And they would have held it up as they went into battle. And that's what to you, you're to use to to quench these fiery darts. These fiery darts, I believe, are thoughts that the devil shoots into your mind. You're walking along one day and you're honoring God. You've been praying. might have even just read your Bible. And all of a sudden, a thought comes into your mind, men, speak to the men, and you're like, whoa, that's not godly. What is my problem? That's not godly at all. And I believe it's these fiery darts that the devil shoots into your mind, and, and they're a flame. And if you don't, look what it says in verse 16, quench them. Quench these fiery darts. If you don't put that flame out, guess what it's going to do? It's going to spread and begin to consume your mind, consume your thoughts, and then it'll, if you don't quench it, it will cause you to do something you didn't even think you would do when you got up that morning. These fiery darts can be filthy thoughts, sexual lust, business compromise, I'm going to steal, I'm going to cheat, I'm going to lie. They can be thoughts of pride, thoughts of worry, unbelief, jealousy, covetousness, and they enter your mind and begin to lie to you, and because they come into your mind, here's the biggest lie the devil has. You believe this is who you are. You believe that this is you, and so you're, you're more apt to listen to it. If you can think, wow, that, where did that thought come from, and recognize that that thought is from the devil. Look, I'm not one of those preachers. You've been around me a long time. You know I'm not one of those preachers that says the devil's behind every bush and the devil's behind every evil thing. I'm not like that. But there is a lot of your thoughts that are shot into your mind that come directly from the devil and his workers. And they're trying to consume your mind like a fire and cause your mind to rage and get involved in things that you have no business as a Christian having rolling around in your mind. They would cause you to think blasphemous thoughts, things that are perverse. They would cause you to contemplate hating someone else or doubting the power of God. It could fill you with burning desires, these thoughts. They could cause you to become somebody that you don't even recognize and you know you better than anybody else does. And if they catch on fire inside your mind, these thoughts, they can consume your mind and become all you would think about. And you are literally at that point heading for sin. He says, take up the shield of faith. I already described it for you. It's about four and a half feet high and about two and a half feet wide. There was a saying in, in Bible times, you would either return from battle with your shield 
or return from battle on your shield. In other words, they use it as a stretcher. They could lay you on it. And so you needed this shield. It was so important. They would come together and build a wall. Maybe you've seen this in movies where they build a wall of that shield and they would press forward in unity all together. They could also take these shields and put them over their head and build like a, a, a turtle-like effect where there's a, a shell on top of them and in front of them, especially to protect from things like arrows. The Bible here says that this shield for us is faith. It's not just the concept of faith that God is real. It's your personal faith that God's in control of your life. It's your personal faith that God's going to do what He told you He would do. It's your personal trust in the Holy God that He loves you. He cares for you. He's guiding your life. And He knows what He's doing. And His timing is perfect. That's the kind of faith that this shield is made of. Because these thoughts that are being shot into your eye or your mind are going to hit you in your weakest places. We talked about that last week. It's like that piano. If you sing a note into it, the note that you sing, that string is going to vibrate. And the devil knows what temptation will easily, or will be the easiest to cause you to stumble. And that's what he's going to shoot arrows, thoughts into your mind to do. It says in the Bible that God is our shield many places. I had so many verses, I'm not even going to start to try to read them all, but let me just read a few of them. Genesis 15, 1, he says, Do not be afraid, I am your shield. 2 Samuel 22, he says, The Lord's way is perfect, the Lord is proven, and he is a shield to those who trust him. In Psalms chapter 3, verse 3, You, are Lord, are my shield, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. Psalms 119, verse 114, You are my hiding place and my shield, and I hope in your word. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. So God is called this shield, and we're to put our faith in Him. Why does it say in verse 16? To quench the fiery darts. To put out this flame as quick as it came in. Notice what it insinuates in verse 16, or it says it, you will be able to quench the fiery darts. You see that? Take the, the faith, the shield of faith, and you will be able. You might want to underline those words. You will be able to quench these fiery darts. What does that mean? That means you can have victory. You don't have to live defeated. Your mind doesn't have to be plagued and consumed with the fire of thoughts that the, that the devil has sent into your mind. You can quench them. You know, there's another place in the Bible that uses this word quench. Anybody know what it is? It talks about quenching something. The Spirit. That's right. It talks about quenching the Spirit. That means to, to put the Spirit's work, push it away. It's kind of like a choice. It's kind of like an either or. You can either quench the fire darts of the devil, or you can let them rule in your mind and run around in your mind, and, you, and, and in so doing, you'll quench the Spirit and His work in your life. We try to apply these verses about fighting the wrestling against the schemes of the devil. I have just some application. Three points of the devil's devices or the devil's schemes or wiles. And then some things I'll call remedies. Uh, some of these illustrations I've drawn from a book that I've been reading lately. It's a really old book written by Thomas Brooks. It's called The Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And it is... I've been telling everybody I've been seeing lately, it's, it's the best book I've probably read in 10 years besides the Bible. It's really good. So let's look at three different devices of the devil and ways to fight them off. The first one is he likes to present the bait and hide the hook. That's what the devil does. He presents the bait and hide the hook. So I brought some of my fishing lures today. This is my rubber worm. I'm a, I like to bass fish. I'm not as good as Mike over there or or Ronnie back there, but I, I like to fish. But the, the devil likes to use a bait. Like this is a this is a rubber worm, and there's my hook right there. I don't know if you can see that. See the hook? Pretty big hook. You need a big hook for a bass. And you stick it into the rubber worm right there. If you can see that, there's a little slit in the worm so it can easily pop out when the, when the fish bites it and hook the fish, and, and then you got it. It's what the devil does to you. He likes to show you this bait and he hides the hook. 
This is the scheme that he used against Adam and Eve. He presented this apple. That was the bait. But the hook had a lot of pain. He presents this sweet pleasure and he hides the wrath, the misery, and the shame that's going to follow. The serpent said to Adam and Eve, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of this apple, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God and know good and evil. The bait was, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God. That's the pleasure. That was the sweet. But the hook that was hidden was that they will be ashamed. They'll hide from God in the garden from then on. That they'll experience the wrath of God and the loss that would follow, the loss that would follow, they'll be kicked out of the garden. Look, think about that. The, the devil's waving the bait, this one apple in front of them. And in the Garden of Eden, they had all the fruits and vegetables. I mean, all of it. I mean, Maxine, she did a garden this year. It was incredible. I don't know if you saw it, but it was something to foresee. It was beautiful. That was nothing, Maxine, compared to the Garden of Eden. Nothing. You, you ain't got nothing on the garden of Eden. <laughs> Think about it. He, he gets them to trade one apple for all the perfect fruit of the garden, all the perfect vegetables of the garden, all this beauty and no thorns and thistles yet because they hadn't sinned. They didn't even have to labor for the ground. It just came up naturally. No, no digging, no tilling, no weeding. There's no weeds. But he shows them this apple and says, you got to eat this. This is so beautiful. This will be so good. You'll be like God. Your eyes will be open if you'll just eat this. And we can sit back here and say, how foolish of Adam. How foolish was Adam to choose one apple instead of all the garden? And I'll guarantee you, every man here, if we told our wives our sins, they would say, are you crazy? And every wife here, if you told your husband your sins, he would say, have you lost your mind? But somehow the devil comes into our life and he shows us this bait and he knows what bait to use for you. He knows what your bait, what your taste buds like. He knows the bait that will, that will trick you the most. And yours may be different from mine and mine may be different from yours. But he's hiding the hook the shame, the damage that will be done. You know, as a pastor, I'm, on, I'm pretty much on call. I go in a lot of times when bad things happen. Now, I'm not just talking about sickness and, and people getting hurt or something. I'm talking about relationship damage between parents and children, relationship damage between a husband and a wife. And, and here's the irony of it. You know when it usually happens like, really late at night like when I've already went to bed that's when it usually happens like in the dark and all hell has broke out in somebody's home and there's this fight going on and they, they, they call me I don't fall for that but when I come when I come swooping in there I really can't do anything only God can do anything but when I come in it's it's usually too late the hook has already been exposed the damage has already been done and there's just, there's brokenness now. Weeping now. He hides the hook and presents the bait. Let me give you a remedy. Just got one. One remedy against this device of Satan. Number one, know that the bait has size, color, and smell that is not real. Just go over that real quickly and then I'll go over it in three different points. If you look at this worm, you ever seen a real worm like that? I have. There's not a real worm like that. A, a real worm is, I've never even seen a real worm that was, maybe you have, but not even close to that big. They're much smaller than that. I've never seen a worm this color, and we don't even just use this color. I got other colors. I have a bag full of colored worms, and I literally, I'm colorblind, but I have every color of worm I think that there is. Here's two of my worms. This one's <laughs> color is that? Red. Red. Pink. Oh, pink. There you go. I'm just, I'm just agreeing with you. I don't know what color is this one. Blue. Blue. All right. Yeah, I've got a bag full of all colors of worms. 
And catch up on my notes here. I'm having to do it. And do you know that you also take this lures now? I don't have any of these. These are the newer ones. They have a scent to them, a smell. They come in a bag that's sealed, and when you take them out, they smell so good, I might even want to eat one. They smell good. They do. But that's when that fish sees that in the water, he's got to be like, oh, baby. Uh, this this could be the best meal I ever had. Never seen a worm so big. Never seen a colored worm colored quite like that before. And I can smell it so much I can taste it. And that's what the devil does to you and me. The size of it, we'll talk about that first. It's it's a dream. It's unrealistic. It's so great. I gotta make it mine before somebody else makes it theirs. I gotta take it. I want it so bad. And the devil so entices you with this bait that he wants you to literally feel this desire that you got to get it before somebody else gets it. you got to do it before somebody else does it. It seems like everything you ever wanted, it seems like you are almost mesmerized by it. This joy of thinking how this could be yours. And you know this, I hope about me, I'm not tempted to every sin. I'm only tempted to certain sins. And I go into people's homes that are tempted to sins that I'm not tempted to. I'll use one as drinking. I'm not tempted to drinking, uh, getting drunk, let's say. But I go into someone whose home is tempted, let's say the guy is tempted to being a drunkard. I can't even identify. I don't even understand that concept to me. Like, why you want to drink until you throw up the next morning? I don't even understand that. But for him, he's so mesmerized by it. It's all he can think about. I've talked to many of men like this, and it's, it's all he can think about. He can't wait to buy more of it. He don't care what it costs. He, he so desires this bait. He don't care if it's going to ruin his marriage. He don't care if his children are going to hate him because of it. He wants this bait so bad. He's so mesmerized by it. He, he sees it as so large and so important in his life. But it's just a lure. It's one of the devil's tools. It's meant to make you want it. But it's bittersweet. The sweet will soon vanish and it will leave a lasting shame and sorrow to come. Job chapter 20 verses 12 through 14 says, Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, though he spares it and does not forsake it, but still keeps it in his mouth. Yet his food in his stomach turns sour. It becomes cobra venom, snake venom within him. He's saying, look, hidden under all this beauty is a hook, and the hook hurts, and it destroys, and it causes pain. And the pain will be far larger than the bait was. Let's talk about the smell of it. Smell is enticing. It's something that causes you to want to run after it. It's so encompassing that it seems to fill the room or fill your mind. It's everywhere you go. There it is. This thing you want. This sin you want to commit or want to have. It's always on your mind. It's all you can think about. You think about it when you wake up. You think about it when you go to bed. Especially if you're giving in to it. If you're giving into it, you think about it more and more and more. The more you give in to sin, the more you think about sin. Do you all know that? The less you give in to sin, the less you will think about it. But this, this smell, this desire that you have, it's not even real. It's not even a real thing. Real worms actually kind of stink. There's a hook under there. And this hook will get into your soul. And you'll lose things you never wanted to lose. And it'll cost you things you never wanted to pay. It's my greatest grief as a pastor. Because some people will lose their marriage for something pretty ridiculous. Some young people will lose their innocence for something that should not have been so. You know what the devil's doing? His goal is to try to get you to come over on his side for just a moment. He'll take a moment. 
And if you'll give him a moment, he'll, get, he'll take a day. And if you'll give him a day, he'll take a month. And if you'll give him a month, he'll take a year. But consider what you're losing. You're losing the blessing of God, the presence of God, and the peace of God. The devil is a deceiver. He's a destroyer. And ultimately what he's trying to do is get you to choose that lure over your God. The bait is his baby, the devil's baby. He made it. He wants you to choose it. And he's thrilled if you do choose it. And what he wants you to choose it for is because he can say, look, you chose that instead of choosing God. That's what he wants in your life. Hebrews chapter 13, or chapter 3 verse 13 says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Let's talk about the color of it. The devil wants to paint this lure in different colors. And what he's going to call these colors is virtue. Let me say it a different way. He's going to say, that's so beautiful, that must be from God. That's so beautiful, that must be godly. The devil knows if he presents the bait in its own nature as an ugly dirty worm that you don't even want to touch, you would say, stay out of my house, stay out of my mind, stay out of my life. But he presents it as a clean, colorful, rubber lure that I can touch and my hands don't even get dirty. It smells good even. And what I would say is if it's that good, it's got to be from God. It has to be godly because this is the greatest trick of all. That he would get you to call godly what's not godly. Righteous what's evil. Light what's dark. Then he's really got you. So he paints these colors of virtue, these colors of godliness, so that you'll be more easily overcome by it and you'll more readily take it in and you'll even take pleasure in it. It's what Proverbs says of the seductress. It says, she gave her offerings in the morning and now she's ready to come out and be with this this man who's simple-minded, who's easily deceived. The devil wants you to think is that you can dance and dine with him on Saturday night and you can still come and eat and drink in worship with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob on Sunday morning. There is a generation that exists today in the United States of America that has believed this wholeheartedly. I talk to pastors all the time. It's something I do. And the pastors everywhere are telling me this is what's going on with young people, the young generation. They want to party on Saturday night and worship on Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning to stir up the same excitement they had on Saturday night, that church better have a show. It better have music that's at the top of technology. And it better have preaching that has plenty of stories and plenty of humor and plenty of things to cause them to be delighted. This is what the devil's doing. He wants you to think that you can be two different people, one on a certain day and another on the other day called Sunday. The sin is no less sinful just because it's dressed in colors and made to look pretty. If you had a poisonous peel and you dipped it in gold, when you eat it, it's still going to be a poisonous peel. If you have a wolf, he's still going to be ravenous and eat you alive even if you put sheep's clothing on him. The devil's still the devil even when he appears as an angel of light. And if that's not sufficient enough to cause you to want to avoid the lure that is hiding the hook, think about what this Simple sin in the Garden of Eden has done even to our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came from the eternal bosom of his Father up there in heaven with God for all eternity and he left there and came here to know sorrow and death and be made into human flesh. He was the creator and he's made into a creature. He was clothed with glory. And he then comes and is clothed in the rags of human flesh. He is in heaven there, and in heaven his glory fills the heavens and the earth. 
And now he comes here and he's born in a simple manger. He's Almighty God. He comes here and he's made into a weak man before you and me. The law of God was subject to him. And he comes here and becomes subject to the, that same law. He created circumcision to be a mark of his covenant. And he comes here and has to be circumcised. He made the heavens. He made the heavens and the earth. And he comes here and he becomes a builder of furniture after his daddy, Joseph. He is the one who binds the devil in chains and will cast him into the depths of hell. And he comes here and allows that same devil to tempt him on that mountain. He owns the world and the fullness of the world. And he comes here and he knows what it's like to be hungry and have hunger pains and thirst pains. He is the God of all strength. He has the power that is unimaginable. And he comes here and is in weakness against other men. He is the God of all life, creator of life, breathing the breath of life into the nostrils of you and me. And he comes here and faces death. So much does he face this death that he would cry out to his father in misery and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has the keys. In Revelation it says he has the keys of hell and of death on his belt. But he lay there in a tomb as he died on that cross. He is a God who stooped to the earth and was made to be man. For what? For your sins. For my sins. And now we so readily because we like it, because we want it, because it tempts us, because it lures us. We get to the place where we don't even think we care about the hook. I just want it so bad. You know what happens when you catch a fish with one of these baits like this? When you catch them and you reel them in, here's what happens. This, this worm will come off this hook. Imagine that my fishing line is tied to it. And what's happening is the fish feels the pain of the hook and he starts to spit it out, tries to spit it out. And the, in the process, he'll, he'll run this bait. It'll run up the line. Like you get the fish in and it's still hooked on this hook down here. This bait is up here up on your line, nowhere near the, nowhere near the fish. He's spit it out of his mouth so hard, it literally runs up the line. And all that you have left is the hook hanging on this, uh, the fish hanging on this sharp hook in pain. I talk to people all the time. They get so deceived by the devil. Here's when you know you're in really bad shape. When you don't care about the consequences. When you don't care what it costs. When you don't care the damage that's done. You just want it. And you want it now. And you don't care who it hurts. Or who it harms. then you're in danger. Great danger. Number two, the second wile of the devil or temptation of the devil, device of the devil, is this. It is a little sin. It's a little sin. Satan says to us often this. He says, it's a, just a small sin. It's not as bad as other sins. It's certainly not as bad as other people's sins. You can commit this one. This one's okay. Just don't do that one. <laughs> you can do this smaller one. Just don't do that big one. It's, if you're a good Christian man, you've stayed away from the big one. But you can live in this little one. You can stick to this little one and, and your soul will be okay if you just have this little sin. The remedy against this device of Satan, I've got several of these. Number one, small sins have brought men under the full wrath of God. Why would you not live with little sin in your life? Because that same small sin has caused people to come under the total wrath of God. When Satan says it's small, you must know that these small sins also bring the full destruction of God on sinners. An example is Sodom and Gomorrah. 
It's the culmination of all these small sins put together. Jesus went to the cross for large and small sins. And that's one of the devil's lies. Number two, the second remedy. Small sins lead to big sins. You need to know this. If you will commit small sins trying to avoid greater sins, you're pretty foolish. Because you have not learned this truth. Small sins lead to big sins. If you would stay away from the small sins, you would never get to the big ones. Sin in its nature is very encroaching. It creeps up on you by degrees. It causes you to go step by step deeper and deeper into sin. That's the Casting Crowns song, if you know it. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. You start so small, so little in the sin, and it grows larger and larger and larger until it's public, it's notorious, and you're what we would call in the church world a fallen man or a fallen woman. When you begin to sin, you don't know where it's leading you, how long it's going to keep you, how much it's going to cost you. But you need to know this. Little sins lead to big sins. One evil leads to another evil. One folly to another folly. And the end is misery and pain and hurt. How small, how weak is your faith? We talked about the shield of faith. If you will separate yourself from God for even just a little sin. It's the devil's rationale gets in our minds. The thoughts he's shooting into our minds. It's, he's making you think it's a little sin. Surely that one wouldn't separate you from God. Surely that one wouldn't hinder the work of God in your life. That same sin is what Jesus died for. How mean would it be to my, my buddy Eric here? If I wouldn't show up for his important day for a small matter, if he's getting graduated from his doctorate degree, let's just assume for a moment. And I say, Eric, I'm not coming. I've got to wash my car. How offensive would that be? If he's, if old Jack over here is getting married, and I say, Jack, I'm not coming to your wedding. Got a really good movie I want to watch. How absurd. Yet we come to church and expect our little sins to be just overlooked by God as if they would not be a hindrance to the Spirit moving in our own hearts or the Spirit moving in our whole church. Because my sin is truly not going to affect anybody else and my sin, sin is just a small matter. But I would sooner cast away the... Think about it in reality, in, in the real terms, I would sooner cast away the peace and the presence of God and the favor of God if I could but commit this small little sin. This is why the devil takes so much joy in these little sins in your life. Because for such a small matter, he has got you to trample the blood of Jesus. For such a small matter, he has got you to grieve the spirit of the living God for just a little sin. Small sins lead to big sins. The third remedy against, sorry, keep up, it's a little sin. The danger from the small sin is, is in the spreading nature of it. it spreads. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And that's a reference to the church, by the way. That scripture is a reference to the church. A little sin will spread throughout the church. It leavens the whole lump. As soon as Adam sinned, that sin entered his heart and it spread to all mankind. Think about that. What if Adam said, it's just my sin, it's just me, it's, it's private, it's none of your business, it's just my sin. It spread to all mankind. And the same would have been true if, that, if I would have been the first man. It would have spread to all mankind. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. If fathers could have in their minds a reality of this truth that the father's sins infect the children. A husband's sins infect the wife. 
A boss's sins infect their employee. And one sin in the church can infect the whole church. It has a spreading nature. That's what sin does. It spreads. The the law of the devil is it's just yours. Nobody has to know. You can just have it to yourself. And everything is going fine even though you're committing this sin. And that is a lie from hell. It's spreading by nature. The fourth remedy against. It's a little sin is. Consider that other Christians have chosen to suffer greatly rather than fall into the least sin. The example here is Daniel and his boys. (laughs) Daniel and those boys who chose to burn rather than commit a sin of idolatry before Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and those guys who chose to rather be cast into the lion's den than than be called an idolater by bowing the knee. Think about it. This day could come in our lifetime, folks, where they say, bow your knee to this or suffer like this. And I can hear the rationale now being said, it's loving to just go ahead and bow the knee. It's not a big deal. Just bow your knee. It's all you got to do is get down on your knees. It doesn't really mean anything. These men faced fire rather than bow their knee. They faced lion's teeth rather than bow their knee. You say, what's the big deal about that? Because they didn't want to dishonor their Lord. They loved God so much they didn't want to dishonor Him. They are saying this, I would rather burn than sin. Here's what they're saying. I would rather die than sin. I've told you this throughout the years as I've been a pastor. that It's a prayer for me. I've even at times asked you to pray it for me that God kill me rather than me dishonor His name. Have you heard me ask for that prayer before? Let me tell you something. If you're in a position where you don't want to pray that prayer, you're in a bad place. you know that? If you get in a place where you're scared to pray that prayer, He says this. He says, Behold, I am vile. Who am I to even answer you, God? I put my hand over my mouth. I will not speak before you, Lord. I'll speak no further. I have heard what you have said, Lord. And now my eyes see you. And now I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That's what Job says. I'm broken. 
And I lay in, think of this repentance, I lay in dust and ashes in repentance. What about Peter? He, he sins, he denies the Lord, he falls dreadfully, but he rises in repentance and he, he sees the look of Jesus on his face and it moves him to tears. He knew repentance was the key to finding grace. Think about Peter. His faith was one time so great that he was the man willing to jump out of the boat and walk on the water to come to Jesus. He had that strong of faith. Many of us don't have that kind of faith. And then God lifts up Peter as the same man who denies the Lord three times. Not so that you would believe that you could deny the Lord three times, but so that you would believe that if you do ever deny the Lord, there must be repentance to follow. And David or Peter, this man who leaped on the water to walk to Jesus, is now going to be shown as the man who would be broken before Jesus in repentance. One of the great writers of the early centuries said about Peter that after his repentance every time he heard the rooster crow he would get on his knees and begin to weep and pray and ask God for his forgiveness the devil saying this you can sin because look at all these other people who have sinned but don't you miss their repentance study how much they repented and how much they labored in asking God for his forgiveness remedy against this temptation of the devil. Consider that these men did not wallow in their sins. In other words, these men didn't make a habit of committing these same sins over and over throughout their whole life. These men that are noted as being sinful in the Bible, it seems that most of them committed them only once. Some of them twice. But then the Bible is clear to display they repented for a lifetime. They failed, that's true. They sinned presumptuously. But that was it. And then there was repentance. And then there was brokenness. And then there was an asking of God for renewal and restoration and forgiveness. When we believe the devil that we can sin because somebody else sinned, we go on to proceed, to proceed in sin day after day. We delight in it. We joy in it. And it comes so easy. Isn't it shocking to you? I'm not talking about other people, but to you. Isn't it shocking to you how easily sometimes you would sin? It should shock us. And I think it's because we think, well, look at these other godly people. They've sinned. Surely I can do it. You've chosen the sin to be your repeated sin, and you sometimes may even sadly repeat it daily. It becomes a, a type of curse in your life. You repeat it so often. You're like the dog that Proverbs mentions. Proverbs says the same way a dog returns to his vomit, you return to your sins. And that statement in Scripture is meant to show us the foolishness of doing these type things day after day after day. And it's because the devil has lied to us and we believe the lie. And now we're not angered by it anymore. And now we're not repentant because of it anymore and now we're not broken because of it anymore. We must study repentance so that we do not wallow in our sins. The third remedy for this the devil tells us, consider that God does not disinherit his people for their sins. Yet he has severely disciplined his people for their sins. In other words, God doesn't reject you or you don't lose your salvation if you sin. But there are, there are things that God does. Let me read to you some of the ones that he said to David. When David sinned, it said this. He said, God breaks his bones for his sins. David said in Psalm 51 verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness again, Lord that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10, it says this about David, And because you have done this, the sword shall never depart from your house to the day of your death. You should think about that for just a minute. David sinned greatly. God forgave him. David repented. 
favor was still on him. God still is going to bring out of David's line the seed of Abraham and the, ultimately the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also true that David had a sword against his house, his family, until the day of his death. I could go illustration after illustration of what happened in David's family to his daughters and his sons. This sword was against his family because of his sin. He did not lose his salvation. He did not lose the favor of God. He did not even lose the plan of God. But there was a sword against his family. There are consequences. God will not take from you his loving kindness. He will not take from you his faithfulness. He will not break his salvation covenant with you. If the Bible says in Psalm chapter 89, He will visit your transgressions with a rod, and He will visit your iniquities with stripes. Many will suffer because of their sins, and some people will suffer lifelong things, lifelong consequences because of their sin. You know this about us here at My House Church. We preach a lot of grace and a lot of mercy, and I do not apologize for that. I've even said to you, and I believe this, I don't believe I can exaggerate the grace of God. I don't believe I can exaggerate the mercy of God. I believe I can preach it so bountifully that you would not be, begin to be moved with how deep it is. It is so vast and so deep and so great, this grace and mercy of God. I think I could preach on it every Sunday, and I wouldn't do it justice. But please hear me in all the preaching of grace and all the preaching of mercy. That does not mean that there are not consequences for sins. As a matter of fact, Scripture says this in Hebrews. It says, this is how you will know that you are God's child if He disciplines you for your sins. If He does not discipline you for your sins, it is a mark that you are not His child and you've never been saved. And so there are two reasons why God records sins in the Bible of great men. One reason is to keep us from despair so that if we do fall or we do sin, we will not be overcome with despair and we will still believe that God has grace and God has mercy and God will forgive. But the other reason that God records sins in the Bible is to cause us to say to ourselves, I don't want to do that. I don't want to become that. I do, do not want to fall like that. The devil's lifting up other men's sins to say that you should sin. God has never listed another man's sin in the Bible to encourage you to sin. That's not why he's listed there. He's listed there to be a roadmark. To say, don't go this way. Don't let this happen to your family. Don't let this happen to your marriage. Don't let these lies and deceptions consume your mind and you enter into that kind of sin. i close with two passages of Scripture that sort of state what we're talking about. The first one's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Look at these things. In the futility of their mind. In other words, you're walking around in futility, vainness. Your mind is just... Here's what's happening to you guys. The devil's shooting fiery darts in your, in your mind and you lock it. You've decided to lock it. You let them live in there. You let them live in there. You don't try to quench the fire of the devil. You let them exist in there. And you walk around in the futility of your mind thinking about meaningless things, absurd things, sinful things, dirty things, and your mind is not able to be sharp for the things of God. Your mind is not able to be attentive to people who are hurting, people who are needy, the move of the gospel, the move of the word of God, the direction of the spirit of God, because your mind is consumed with futile, meaningless things that the devil shot in there, and you didn't mind them being there, you allowed them to live there. And some of us have lived there so long, we don't know what it's like to quench them and finally get them out. Futility of mind, having their understanding darkened. In other words, there are things that you should understand by now being a Christian, being a soldier of God, being saved by grace. There are things you should understand by now, but you can't see them because you're darkened. Your understanding is darkened because sin has a foothold in your life. You can't understand spiritual things. You have no mind for them. I preached last week on the devil and the spiritual host in wicked places. Guess what? It was one of the least watched messages on Facebook that we've had in a really long time. You know why? People don't care what the devil's doing. 
They don't care what the devil's doing and how he's working. We just like to exist where we are. And it doesn't matter that our understanding is darkened. If we're going to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ where the gates of hell cannot prevail against, we need some men whose understanding is awakened and we can see the hand of God when it's moving and we can see the hand of the devil when he's attacking. God help us to awaken and not be darkened in our understanding. It says they are alienated from the life of God. That is such a sad statement. We are Christians who have stepped back from the life of God, the move of God. I prayed this week and I said, I brought up, I read it in Psalms first and then I prayed it. I brought up in my mind things that I've seen God do in the past and I want to see God do again. Great moves of God. But that don't happen when we're just letting our minds just be whatever, just we're alienated from the life of God, that life, that flowing life of God that comes into the Christian's life. Look at that, because of the ignorance that's in them. We become so ignorant because of the blindness of their heart. Our hearts become blind. Look at that next one, past feeling. Past feeling. I think the most, that most American Christians today, the reason our churches are going, do you know this? Our churches are going in America. Many of them are going to 50 minutes to an hour of music and 5 to 10 minutes of a message. Do you know that? That's what's happening. Because they're past feeling. They need the stirring of the music, but not the stirring of the word. It's a sad place to be. And so what do we do? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is something that has hold of you that don't have a right to have hold of you. It's some sin that has a foothold in your life that doesn't have to be there. Pulling down strongholds. Mighty in God, pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I've preached on this. I've studied these three verses for years as a pastor because when I go into somebody's home and they're struggling with some sin that's addicted, addictive to them and it has a hold on them, I want them to understand these verses. How do they tear down? How do they tear down this, this thing that they've built up, this high wall, let's say, casting down arguments and every high-thought thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? Here's the knowledge of God, and over here's this thing they're addicted to. You've got to tear this thing down and grow in the knowledge of God. And then it tells you why in the end. So that you can bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I pray that all the time for myself. And when I pray it, I picture the arms, the hands of Jesus reaching into my head and grabbing my thoughts and taking them captive. It's by faith, the shield of faith. I'm asking you today to be willing to be honest with God. And maybe ask God to clean up some things that needed to be cleaned for a long, long time. Would you bow your heads with me? There's something in your life that the devil has lied to you about or caused you believe a lie that we went over here. Would you just confess that to God now and ask Him to forgive you and to help you to think correctly? Father, we lay before you today our sins, the footholds of the devil, the tricks, the wiles, the devices that he's used to get into our lives. And we don't want to live this way. It's a miserable place to live. We're not enjoying the fullness of God. The fullness of the life of God. And I pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to repent today. Help us to be broken today. And help us to return. Help real change to happen in our lives by the power of the Spirit of God. Help us by faith to quench the fiery darkness of the devil. Help us to be filled with the Word of God. Filled with the Word of God. I cannot be victorious in my days without your Word, Lord. Help me to know that. Help me to own that. Help me to, to take the necessary 
labor to read the word, listen to the word, because that's where my victory is found. And I pray from this laying down of sin, we would become fresh in our prayer lives. Praying for our children like never before. Praying for our spouse like never before. Praying for our church like never before, Lord, like we haven't done in some time, that the move of God would happen here, that the power of God would be displayed here, that grace would be known, mercy would be seen, that the devil would run from this place. Father, will you have your way in this church? Will you have your way in these families? Lord, will you have your way in the lives of these men who are here today? Have your way, Lord. Time for victory. Have your way, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?